And that's what it was so wild about Pepper is that, I mean, we could have just stopped in Indiana. And she wouldn't have known any different. She would have been fine. And I just, once I started to like take that in my heart, I was like, this is a bigger picture here. I'm Abby Nemec, and this is A Time for Horses. Many people have sighed for the good old days and regretted the passing of the horse. But today, when only those who like horses own them, it is a far better time for horses. C.W. Anderson. You're listening to a podcast about people and horses. Each episode, I take a look at a true story that connects somehow to horses, horse people, or the horse business. I'll tell you the story, sure, but I'm also going to tell you why I think it's a story worth telling. So, set the cruise control, pick up a pitchfork, step onto the treadmill, or pour another cup of coffee. I've got a story to tell you. You could call it the late winter or early spring of 2013 the month of March, when Jesse McNeil saddled up Pepper, his four-year-old Tennessee walking horse mare, on the coast of Oregon and turned her toward the east to head home. Many months later, as he approached the end of his journey, he began to have a sort of ruby slippers sense that he was already there. I learned about Jesse's adventure in the fall of 2013, when I saw a Facebook post about a man riding a horse across the country from west to east. He'd made his way as far as western Massachusetts, working toward the Atlantic coast, and it took a few minutes of skimming his posts before I had the thought that his name was familiar. A fellow named Jesse McNeil had grown up in the same town that I did. He knew my mother and extended family, and was fast friends with someone I had babysat for when she was wee tiny. It seemed like quite a coincidence that this man on a cross-country journey had the same name, But I followed his page, and by the time he reached the ocean, I realized it was actually the same person. I thought then that even though I knew he hadn't started out as a horseman, it was pretty likely he'd become one. You see, in our hometown, Jesse was well known as a person who wasn't held back from doing something just because he'd never done it before. That's something else that we have in common. In the years since, Jesse has authored a book about this journey, and it's called on the Hoof, Pacific to Atlantic, a 3,800-mile adventure. If you're a fan of this podcast, you know that what I do here is tell stories. Normally, I read a few books, I learn the background and the context, and I organize it into a story that I want to share with you. In this case, I read the book, and it actually sort of came with its own context. I could have just told you the story myself, but since I actually had access to the author... I thought I'd give a try at my first ever interview episode. I'm sharing it now as a bonus episode, since I'm still in the middle of our series about the horse at war, and it's definitely not our usual approach to telling stories. It was actually a few months ago that Jesse and I sat down to talk, and we covered quite a bit of ground. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Of course, the obvious question is, did people think you were nuts when you said you wanted to do this thing? (laughs) Of course they did. People thought I was nuts when I was getting ready to leave for the trip. I was training Pepper in Bozeman, Montana for three months prior to leaving in March. So from December to March, I was training her at this boarding stable. And few of the people there knew that I was green. And they had caught wind a little bit about what I wanted to do. And so I, I kind of got a few warnings as the months passed. And then along the journey, too, I constantly had people stopping me, thinking that I was a lunatic for riding a horse along the road or for where I came from when I told them or how long I've been doing it. So it was definitely kind of a fight also against norms. 
I've been there before. (laughs) So did you have a goal in mind? Did you start out saying, okay, so here's what I'm going to do other than just like to get to the east before winter? To to get to the other side. (laughs) I mean, it was really clear to me that a lot happened. Book is really a journey book. But I'm just wondering how much of that was intentional and how much of it was a surprise to you. Sure. Yeah, I I think one of the main points that I had going into it is that it's is that I really wanted to become a good horseback rider, a good horseman. It was, that was really crucial to me. I wanted to have a sense of being methodical and experienced. And in order to get experienced, you got to go through a lot of failure. And I knew that was that'd be coming along, and I was ready for that. I just didn't know that it was going to take so long. <laughs> I just didn't know I'd have to fail so many times. And that's where it got a little, where I got a little stir crazy is that it basically took all of Oregon, the entire state of Oregon to use as my practice. That was, that was daunting. And I realized that I had a lot, lot, lot to learn. And uh, the the ability to become seasoned wasn't just like, okay, ride for a few weeks, you'll know what's happening. You can't miss the fact that you go into this with tons of experience. You know, you had lots and lots of experience as a solo traveler. You're very comfortable in the wilderness. You're very comfortable with living outdoors and, and living on minimal supplies and equipment. And yet, even that wasn't cooperating with you at the beginning. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, and I actually leaned on that. That's totally accurate. I, I really leaned on it thinking like, okay, this is just backpacking with a horse. No problem. Yeah. That's great. Like, I don't have to carry my own backpack. This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I mean, I mean, that's truly what I thought. And I was like, okay, instead of me bicycling, this is just a horse that's doing the pedaling. This is great. Right. And oh my gosh. I mean, I look back on it now and I'm like, what was I thinking? Because, you know, a bicycle that you're riding doesn't just swerve to the left on its own. Right. <laughs> or, uh, so that's that was the, the funny part about it as time was going on was that as I was getting deeper into it, I was like, man, I don't know anything. And I'm like, now I'm really committed because now it's been weeks out here. I, I can't just stop here in the Oregon high desert and call it good. Yeah. Because then my, my my stubbornness kicks in, you know, and I'm like I'm like, okay, I almost got this state down and just say so then you just put your nose down and just keep going. Did you kind of do that like, okay, now I'm through Oregon? Oh yeah. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Many times. Um, state lines and state signs were a big deal for me. Welcome to Ohio. I right. saw you had one welcome to Ohio. We had just recently driven across the country in a car, which is old. <laughs> but I have a picture of being in Ohio with like the picture of Ohio. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's there's some kind of turning point when you get to Ohio because it's like past the middle. Yes. Yeah. It's like practically the, it feels like it's practically the Atlantic Ocean at that point in in some funny way. Like you can smell the ocean. So so did you ever really think of quitting? Yeah, I did. And that's what really surprised me. And that's what, why I realized that this was a bigger journey that, than I thought it would be. And that it ended up warning to actually write about it because I'd never had the feeling in the past of quitting. I think generally speaking, most people are fighters. I think most people want to accomplish the mountaintop or accomplish a goal of some sort. And when I had a couple moments where I was like, you know what? Like, forget this. (laughs) I was like, wow, this is going to get the best of me. A couple of those moments were um, Eastern Oregon. After about three weeks traveling, it just got harder. And Pepper got stubborn. And I was already stubborn. But then to have my partner be stubborn, like, got into me deep. And then another time was... I would probably say around the beginning of Wyoming, because at that point, it was like practically a month later, and I was only just basically another few inches on the map forward. And I was like, I'm never going to see the Atlantic Ocean at this point. That was a wild feeling to go through of actually 
going through the process of quitting, like wanting to quit. Yeah. So I, I think I learned, of course, you learn more when you get knocked down, right? right? I learned more during those moments. And then in the entirety, I learned more as a whole because of the low points, the valleys of the experience. Then as I started to see that really, hey, this is a roller coaster. There's going to be ups and downs. It's not going to be like it's a challenge at the beginning and then you're just coasting along, which in some ways, that's what it's like when you go on a long hiking trip. The first couple of days, your muscles are sore. You don't know where your spoon is. Right. <laughs> as time goes on, you're, you're yeah. just like, it's all right. I can use a twig. <laughs> like, this is fine. So that's what I like started to get. I was like, it just kept getting harder and i actually purposely and not and purposely but by default i end up making it harder halfway along i end up switching it up putting pepper into a into a cart and i asked her to pull a cart that became a whole new experience of me training a horse to pull a cart you just got the horse trained <laughs> trained to go the way you wanted her to under saddle barely <laughs> exactly exactly yeah and not only did you hitch her to a cart but you also sent your saddle home so it wasn't like you could just change totally committed at that point yeah. yeah i thought about that actually later on as i'm <laughs> bouncing along with the cart like okay it's either i like sit in this cart or i walk <laughs> <laughs> because I said I sent my title. Right. So you did walk a lot though, huh? I walked down hills a lot because as time went on I realized that just like mm -hmm. for ourselves as as uh people with knees, we end up pounding our knees and the same thing happens with the horse. They pound their knees going downhill. And mm -hmm. so if I can give her pepper a little break and uh hop off the saddle and we're going down a steep hill, it's what just what I should do, you know. As, as a partner. So talk about your partnership. She's a good partner, huh? Yeah, she's pretty quiet at first. But then you start to learn the way she communicates and, and then it becomes this interesting conversation. Yeah, she's a good partner. She's uh, dedicated to wanting to carry out. She'll keep going. And there's only a couple times, two, three, four, five times over 3,800 miles that we went that she kind of stopped for a moment. Right. She's like, no. <laughs> okay. Okay, mister. That's You're not good. listening. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, that's okay. Fair enough. I mean, I, I doubt we'd have another human partner that half a dozen times over, over that long of a period of time that they say enough is enough. Right. She, she's really, really, really dedicated and, and horses tend to be that way, right? Horses, that's the fault of them in some ways. It really is. They will go until their legs break. Right. As stewards of horses, we really have to take that responsibility and honor them with that and tell them like, hey, this is enough. This is fine. And that took a lot for me to learn too, because again, I was new. I was green. And, and so I didn't know where the limit was. Yeah. And I, and I actually talked about that a few times in the book because I didn't know where the limit was. I didn't know where the limit was for her. I knew where the limit was for me, for me because I had traveled so much. But her limit is, is different, very different. Yeah. And you had tested your own limits previously by pushing them, right? I think in a relationship, you don't find the limits unless you bump up against them, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and you had the handicap of not, at first, not speaking the language. So she's like speaking to you in, in hieroglyphics. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. Let's go, let's go, <laughs> let's, right. let's go. Yeah, let's, let's go. go. And it really is a relationship. I mean, it's like it's a demanding relationship because you don't have the luxury of having somebody else tell you what they're feeling. Yeah, you need to dial in to your, I don't know, your ESP, I suppose. And the more you do, the better it and is. And that's one of the things I think that people were probably worried about for you at the beginning is knowing that you not having the experience, you wouldn't be able to easily read the horse. Right. Reading the book, it feels like the more you started to understand what Pepper's experience was, the more it became a partnership. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. That's exactly it. Because, I mean, she obviously, when it came down to it, I realized that she didn't care where where we were going. Right. <laughs> she didn't care. She, hadn't, she didn't have the map. No, <laughs> she was happy as heck to just sit, stand in the field, whatever field we're next to, and stay there. That's it. Yeah. Period. We're done. She doesn't, she doesn't know, know anything about an ocean. I mean, right. I, I know how naive that is, but... 
you, you get so driven when you're goal oriented that yeah. that you just don't see the the flashing lights at times. That's where I really like ended up like learning a lot more from Pepper was the subtleness or the little cues about when to slow down, yeah. you know, and I, I I think we all need that, you know, right. and it's, and that's not even a, a relationship with a horse. We, we need that with, with each other. Yeah. That was the next thing I was going to ask you is uh, how have you translated that to people? Well, two things. One, I've become much more aware of people around me and the body language. Mm-hmm. And I've become much more aware about how little things really matter. Just generally speaking, things don't matter that much. Right. Like, like you, like you miss the power bell and you got to pay fifteen bucks late fee. Who cares? Who cares? Is it worth a fight with another with a stranger on a phone about that when it it was probably your fault? To to be able to let go is is one of the biggest lessons I, I took away from the journey. So, what do you think? Pepper took away from the journey. Oh, she loved it. She? She's so bored right now. Oh, yeah. She's so <laughs> bored. She's like, where are we going? And I'm like, oh, look at this nice barn and a stable. She's like, yeah, yeah, oh, that's cool for a minute. In fact, here's a quick story about how much she was like, she's not into how horses are now, <laughs> how horses generally live. <laughs> when after the journey, I ended up uh, was was leaving for another trip and I had arranged uh, her care at a stable in New York State where we had actually stayed at. Mm-hmm. Really nice people. So I had transported her up there by trailer and, and put her into the stable. And I was like, okay, you're all set. This is like a primo stable, super nice, you know, all wood and iron and everything. Right. And a couple other horses around. So she wasn't all by herself, which is important to know that she wasn't alone. And so she goes into this like 20 by 20 stall so a nice large stall and it has one of those sliding barn doors you know on the on the wheels right and they slide it across and and the lower parts wood and the upper part is a sliding metal a grill and uh it it was at her the top of her shoulders like right at her chest height just right where her neck meets her chest right about there and uh I get a call and she's like, yeah, we got an issue. I'm like, what? What? Pepper's such a chill horse. Yeah, she jumped out. She tried to jump out. Uh, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah, like, no, no, it's cool. Like, the firefighters are here. Oh we're, 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 sorting it. we're sorting it out. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, Pepper just was just totally fine, you know? What happened was she... And it was a low ceiling. It was a like eight foot ceiling, you know. So she had tried to jump through this small opening because she didn't want to be in the stall. Well, you know. She wanted to be outside. She wanted to be outside. Yeah, what you taught that horse was how to solve her own problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's. Uh, she spent 3,800 miles. She's been right. eight months solving her own problems. Uh, totally. Yeah. She's got a doctorate now. Yeah. <laughs> And so what happened was she jumped through, but she couldn't get her her back end through. So she was hanging there oh with the front goodness. end outside and the back end on oh the inside, just back of her ribs. So like her belly part is hanging there. And so she just waited. She waited. She didn't know how to solve the, that problem. The, the barn manager comes in and is like, what the? And... This is like kind of a pretty fancy barn with like, yeah. you know, she just never, and she immediately called the fire department. The fire department turns up and Pepper just stand, just waiting there with her, with her old back end hanging in the oh air my goodness. and just relaxed. And it was just glad to like, at least have her head out of the stall, I guess, oh <laughs> or at least the front half out. And they end up taking the door off. And she climbed through and no injury, no nothing, no, no freaking out. And she just wanted to be outside. Yeah. She had been outside for eight months and being in a barn was like, this is dumb. I'm not into barns. It's not raining and it's not snowing. Why are we indoors? Right. Yeah. Right. She's, she's an outside horse. Yeah. How did you choose her out of all the horses in America? Luckily, I, in some ways, just, again, was pretty greenhorn about it all. So I end up... Uh, planning out that I was going to do the trip. I went up fishing in Alaska for the previous summer, salmon fishing for the summer to to get the money together to buy a horse. And I came back in the fall to Montana. I said, okay, I'm going to go buy a horse. Just, I mean, 
horses are horses, like they're like go buy a car. Right. So I took a couple books out of the library. I was like, oh, what kind of horse do I want? You know, like, is it, do I want a Chevy? Do I want a Ford? So I, I read up on like two books and it's basically I realized that getting a gated horse would mean that I wouldn't have to work so much. And since I didn't know how to ride, I wouldn't have to learn how to post. And I was like, okay, this is easier. Like, this is kind of like a cruise control horse. This is the way to go. I'll, 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 I'll go and get myself a gated horse. There's Tennessee Walkers and there's Rocky Mountain Horses and Pasifinos. Yeah. So I look around and I realize there's a few different Tennessee Walking Horses within two hours of Bozeman. So I go look at one horse and, and uh, it's out in this field and the rancher comes up. He's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I'll bring the horse in. And I'm like, how much you want for the horse? He's like, ah, $800. And I'm looking at the horse and I'm like, I realized at that point I knew nothing about horses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do I do? Like, do I check its teeth? Like, do I lift up? You know, I don't even know. <laughs> I I realized how like clueless I really was. You know, I what would I, look I, for I knew I a brand. You know, I didn't know what about the horse. Right. So I just kind of looked at it. I'm like, yeah, that's nice. He's like, you want to get on it and take it for a ride? I'm like, I was not about to show the rancher that I had no idea how to ride a horse. Yet I was coming all the way out to his to his ranch to go look at this horse, which I didn't, didn't even know how to ride a horse. Oh so I did that a few times, and I each time I you know one after another I like like okay I should like look at the hooves I should ask the age of the horse I should see if it's got rain rot maybe look at some papers and so I was getting a little closer and closer as time was going on with like each visit and then I came to another ranch and this place was a ranch but it was also a tennessee walking breeding ranch this gentleman named dan adlin wonderful man he had been raising tennessee walkers for over 30 years and so he just had a wealth of experience and so i at that point i he was a you know friendly enough fellow and i was like okay so here, here's the deal dan i don't know anything about horses and i want to ride this horse across the country do you think it'll work <laughs> <laughs> do you think this one will work will make it and he goes he says yeah you know i, I think so treat this horse right i think it'll be all right you know and at first he kind of looked at me and he like turned his head a little bit like what do you like i got some yahoo that's on my property but uh it ended up being a really great you know friendship that we had formed since then and when i was on the trip i ended up calling him a couple times about about a couple related issues and and uh, he gave some some good advice that that I leaned on and so that was the horse I, I end up choosing Pepper her name was originally Holly she had only been ridden by one of Dan's hired trainers only been ridden like once or twice like not much just enough that Pepper wasn't like scared of people right she still didn't like to get a saddle on her she still didn't like her feet picked up but she had the right like temperament that she wouldn't lash out she would just be looking at you like okay i'll listen i'm patient <laughs> that's that's how it kind of got that's how it got struck. you kind of just felt like that was the horse yeah there was a feeling yeah there really was um uh so i got her when she was about four and a half years old yeah and that was another aspect that she seemed a little young from the one book <laughs> the one book i read but i was like well she didn't but she never had a right an owner before that and that was really right. critical for me because i kind of wanted to start from a clean slate i didn't want to i wanted to learn with the horse i wanted to like go through that and so you know jesse there's a saying about that with horse people oh is there green plus green equals black and blue <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even know that <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even know that well yeah i mean well they're right because pepper and i got pretty beat up <laughs> right but with that temperament and your temperament you worked your way through it yeah yeah i mean how we got beat up is just as the book will share yeah, stuff happens when you ride 3800 miles stuff happened right right and and i feel that i was not taking too many risks that right. were like out of control i mean a lot of it is just like you know like we can do this let's go pep we can do this life, life can't be lived meekly no and and in some ways you started with a horse who didn't know anything and you taught her how to go across the country there's not a lot of training that anyone could have done with a horse beforehand that would have prepared them for what you ended up asking her to do right and you started slow 
You started mm-hmm. with a little bit of adventure going through Western Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Started with mountains. Yeah. Going off trail for right. 70 miles. Right. And she's like, what are yeah. we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we going this way? <laughs> exactly. She did. She did definitely did look at me a few times like, who are you? You just, you just showed up in like my little... life and now we're going across <laughs> this river. <laughs> exactly. Um, that was, there was a lot of moments like that where we both went into it pretty wide eyed. I think when you're wide eyed too, like you're hypersensitive to the risks. And so she ended up not being very sloppy in her movements because she had to, she had to be on her game yeah. as I did too. And, uh, so, so you, you just kind of like, okay, this is the way it is. Like, you know, buck up, let's keep up, keep up. And, and that's a bit like how I did previous journeys on my own and, when I was commercial fishing up in Alaska, like, you know, it's no joke up there. Like nobody is, yeah. nobody's your friend up there. That's what I've experienced personally. I've been up there three summers on different boats and everybody's there up to make a buck and get a little scratch as they call it, get a little scratch forward. And, and you, you, that's how life is. Like if you're dragging behind, that, that's how nature works. Yeah. You got your share of nature too. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. It was the best. I mean, there were lots of highlights that were just that made so much sense to me to be traveling by horse when you're when you're when you're going across the mountains. And there was some times in southern Idaho when I'm just going up narrow little wildlife trails up and over these ranges with just wildflowers and snow. And I was like, yeah, of course, this is the way to do it on a horse. This is it. And she loved it, too. She, I could tell when she was in her element because it was when we were out in the woods. When we were inside the road, there was a certain, we both were tolerating it. That's it. We're tolerating it. Getting the job done. Yeah. But when we were out in rolling fields, it was, and she could just open up her stride and gallop and she just loved it. I mean, there were, there were lots of moments like that. So it definitely was not all, was not all hard. That's that's not what life should be about. It shouldn't be all well, hard. Well, and those quitting moments are a lot easier if you like come around the corner and there's a field of wildflowers. Yeah, exactly. When you have that, I just don't yep. know if I can do it. And then something good happens mm-hmm. and it, and you go, oh, right, that's why I was doing it. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there was one time I got a, I got a flat tire on, on the cart and I was in Nebraska and I'm just out in this beautiful like rolling Actually, parts of people think Nebraska is like pretty bad, but Nebraska is beautiful. And unfortunately, the highway goes through a pretty desolate area of Nebraska. But the grasslands of Nebraska and the northern half of the state is amazingly beautiful, especially the the northwest western corner. What was the season when you were in Nebraska? Uh, I'll probably say June, somewhere in there. Yeah, that was another thing. Time just, even though I was kind of obsessed with trying to get to the destination because I was nervous about going through a winter. I wanted to do it all in one push. Right. The days and weeks just kind of started to like mesh together. And that ended up being really awesome because I ended up living more in the, not just the seasons, like even a smaller microcosm. I started living in how, what insects were out, what flowers were out, yeah. um, how long the day was, how much rain was coming through. I started to really experience, really enjoy it at that point. And so when I was going through Nebraska, there was one time and I got a flat tire on the cart and I'm just kind of in this beautiful spot replacing a tire on the cart and Pepper's grazing on some good grass, which that was another thing was like, if there was good grass around, stress level totally dropped because I knew Pepper was being cared for and I could just kind of let it go. And it kind of like, there was a reason to be where we are for a while. So Pepper's grazing and good grass and I'm replacing the tire and I'm just like, like, this is all right. This is awesome. I got a flat tire in this beautiful spot and I can take a moment. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it kind of forces you to enjoy that moment, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you have a choice. You can either enjoy it or you can curse at the tire. Yeah, right. You know? Right. And I think instinctually, humans curse at the tire. Yeah. I mean, we all do. I mean, I... For a minute. I'm sure you did for a minute. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't even know. I, I don't know. I think I... I don't even know how it even happened. It was like my couple first couple days with the car. I was still trying to understand how to turn the car. I mean, again, I was like a rookie all over again. Yeah. After ha- halfway through the country, I become 
it became a greenhorn once again. And I was like, oh, and I turned the cart kind of weird and it hit this, hit a rock or something. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I mean, that's the thing is that those little moments do force you to slow down because you got a flat tire. <laughs> In no way am I saying like I'm becoming Buddha-like or anything, but I do feel that I... I did kind of realign my priorities. One of the things I remember, I kind of make a shift here a little bit, talking about you learning to be a horseman. And I've ridden a few gated horses. You know, I'm not a gated horse person, but I've owned a few and worked with gated horses of different breeds. And I remember you saying, all of a sudden, she did the running walk and it worked. And her legs were doing what they were supposed to do. And I went, Oh, so that's how that goes. <laughs> and and there was uh, yeah. this this really cl- kind of clear moment where you had that. She stepped into her stride, she hit her stride, and then there was the running walk. And I realized why these horses cover ground so efficiently. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking, well, there you go. Now he's got it. He's on his way. <laughs> yeah. And it did work. It was like she had nitro in her grain or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it, it's I, that's a that's definitely an interesting conversation. Which uh, there is definitely a whole subculture of gated horse enthusiasts out there, and mm-hmm. and the trainers, which I think are amazing because they're basically, from what I gather, is that you kind of toggle the horse and you get the horse to like lift its head and. Then when it lifts its head, it lifts its its front feet a little bit, and then it just kind of snaps into that four beat stride, that that intermediate gait. And I tried and tried and tried. And in essence, what I I think was going on was that Pepper just wasn't strong enough. Exactly, to get into I, that. that was exactly my thought at that moment. I was like, oh, she's figured it out, and now she can carry him. Right. It, it's like it's like dragging a bag and then you decide to put the bag on your shoulder. Right. And and I didn't know that the bag could go on the shoulder. I you know, and so, right. so Yeah. It, and it, the the other interesting thing that I thought of is that I have taught students on gated horses and one of the things that's important is that you have to sit down on the horse. Deep in the seat. And if you if you get in a hurry and you get ahead of the horse, the horse can't gate right. Because it can't lift up their front end. Because it can't lift up the front end because you're not where you need to be sitting. Your center and, of balance is off. Yeah. Right, right, right. You got to get your center of balance over where they need theirs to be. And that was the other thing that I thought because you said something in the way you told that part of the story. I had the sense that you all of a sudden, it was like you took a breath and sat down on the horse. And I could just picture that moment where the horse goes, oh, here we go. Now we got this. And then the two of you are like on a roll. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you definitely have more experience than I do with this. And Well, I I haven't ridden 3,800 miles on a city walker, I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well... But but that's it. I mean, you 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 nailed it because once it's starting started sitting deeper in the seat and really like stopping to try to control her. Yeah. Which again is just just there's so many like you know morals here that end up really kind of becoming more in harmony with each other. And then I carried that same aspect through when I would be traveling bushwhacking with her and in the forest we could be going up and down super steep terrain and i would just hang on and let her do it that's it and i'd just be light i'd just be light light mm-hmm. reins like i'm holding two two little birds right as uh, sally swift has said you hold two little birds in your in your hands and, and i just let her go and it was great every time when i when i did that we got along and when i didn't do that we didn't get along how many how many times do you have to go through that to realize that you got to start looking at yourself? Yeah, and some people never do. Well, I mean, it's it, it's not necessarily their fault. I think it's really a part of our society, you know. I mean, Absolutely. And you set yourself on a path in Oregon where that was an inevitability. Yeah, it, it was because as as you read read in the book, like I struggled a lot at the beginning because I just 
didn't do that. I didn't, I didn't like let go. Yeah. And when I started to really like let go, let go of a timeline, let go of the goal for the day of how many miles to get to or where to get to, uh, it ended up just becoming much easier. And who cares if I got there a few weeks later, a month later, right. who cares? Like, who cares? I mean, should, should I be grateful about that, that I got more time to be out in the outdoors? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, more time. I mean, why do I want to hurry up to the end so fast? And we do that all the time. Yeah. We do that all the time as people. We're always trying to hurry up to the end. Like, how long is the movie? Oh, it's an hour and a half. Right. Like, who cares it, how long it's the movie how long is? It is. You want to, do you want to watch a movie or not? I'm constantly putting myself in check on that on a regular basis. It's a very, it's a human instinct, I think. It really is. It's, I think it's, it's a survivability, you know, I think it's the way to survive. And that's what it was so wild about Pepper is that, I mean, we could have just stopped in Indiana and she wouldn't have known any different. She would have been fine. <laughs> and I just, once I started to like take that in my heart, I was like, this is a bigger picture here. And, and it really, it really did help to learn that ab- about yourself. Did you at any point in the planning in the, I think I'm going to ride a horse across the country kind of stages, did you ever consider not making it a solo trip, trying to find someone who wanted to do this adventure with you? I did. I, I was actually, I'd done a lot of solo trips in the past. I, I rode a bicycle across Canada alone. I hiked the Appalachian Trail alone. I mean, there were other hikers along for a while, but, you know, I left alone and arrived alone. Flew a plane across the country alone. I traveled other countries alone. So I really enjoyed that part of me. But a point had come I was that I was like, okay, I know what it's like to be alone beside the road. <laughs> like, awesome. I, I, I got that experience. And so early on, when I thought about the idea, I, I was seeing a woman at the time who ha- actually had more experience in horses than I did. Yeah. So I kind of I approached the idea to her. I said, hey, what do you think about going on a horse trip? <laughs> and uh, at first she was like, what? And she was lukewarm about it. Then she was warm about it. And then she was kind of quiet about it. It was hard to, to get an idea what each time I brought it up, what would turn out. And uh, in the end, I felt that since she didn't voluntarily take in any initiative to discuss the idea, I just decided to do it on my own. And it was such a goal of mine that as time went on, I realized I was, okay, I'm doing this on my own. And she and I parted ways and all was, all was well, but uh, it, it was my journey. But And so I left... Oregon, the Oregon coast, and started traveling with Pepper. And as time went on, I actually realized that that maybe I was kind of hasty about not welcoming her into the idea. And I and I called her up and I said, "Hey, you know, Rachel, you want to come out and and uh, maybe do some of this journey with me? Now that's going, it's going now, you know." And and she did. She came along. She she ended up bringing a horse and she traveled for a good chunk of Wyoming with me. And I was really grateful for that. The journey was had a lot of aha moments of us together. I think if she never chose to come, I'd probably still be questioning the decisions I'd made, the decisions she made. Her, her coming along for, I think it must have been a couple hundred miles across eastern Wyoming, a very beautiful part of the state that had a... It was nice to travel with, with her. And then she and the horse went back home uh, and I continued alone, but... Again, if she hadn't come, it wouldn't have spurned on all these additional concepts of about if I'd made the right decision. I think we get into our head that, that we want people to be so much like us. Yeah. And that was a real teaching moment for me is that she did come. She did try to be like, not try to be like me. She, she came on her own volition and her own, she stood alone as her own person. But, you know, I think she's very grateful that she came along. It's, it's a memory that we'll definitely both share. And I talked about that yeah. in the book quite a bit because it, she wasn't very communicative. And so there was a lot of, again, a lot of the body language, a lot of learning from the horse, right? Like learning how we relate as partners, you know, we got two horses, two two riders and how we relate when it comes to when we're riding and we're not speaking. I, I leaned on all those solid 1,200 miles I did prior to that and, and like how, how the journey could be a a good experience for the both of us. I think it's really clear in the book Mm. that 
that the story is your journey mm. and that she was a part of your journey, but she was not on your journey. And that it was your partner on the trip was Pepper. It just, it felt very comfortable. It sounded as though she enjoyed it for the time that she spent, yeah. but that it wasn't her thing. And then she came and she did it and she mm. was glad that yeah. she did that time, but that it was yours to finish. Yeah, it, that's how it was. It's interesting hearing a perspective on it because that, that is true. That That is, and, and I'm glad that, that that came through in the book because to know that after a couple hundred miles, she was pretty happy to get in the truck and put the horse in the trailer. I guess I was grateful that I made the right decision to go alone. I mean, at that point, we were in Wyoming, right? I mean, think about all the states ahead. <laughs> right. Imagine someone who's not 100% sold on this concept doing the first half of the Oregon part of the trip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was hard. Yeah. That the only thing that got you through that was the fact that you had started and you were going. Yeah. And you had the experience of the solo travel. Yeah. You're right. And I mean, in, in that respect, I mean, I I think very much Rachel could have accomplished the the Oregon section uh, section if again she had loaded up her bags on desire to do it. Yeah. She's capable and strong strong in her own but right. But you have to you have to have drive. Right. That yeah. that was the thing. You have to have the drive to do the thing. Not just the internal strength, but the drive to do the thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And she's she's has has accomplished many, many things in her life. She's she's strong and capable in her own right. And And those belong to her. Exactly. Exactly. So it's you know, not every journey is for every person. Yeah. It just isn't. So I think that, and, and case case in point, so many people said to me, "You must be crazy, right? Right? Because they don't see that they could ever want to even go across town on a horse, right? So if someone came to you and said, "I'm thinking about riding my horse across the country," what advice would you give them? <laughs> well, actually, I've I've received that question many many times. I'll bet you, you have. I really have. I I was surprised when it started happening because. A few newspapers like tracked me down on the journey and and did some articles and and uh, but I didn't really advertise. I was I actually had a lot of people that were very generous and kind that that put me up in a barn or in their house or brought hay for pepper or just gave me a big wad of cash side the road. Didn't even know me, and, but they wanted to track the journey. Yeah. And so. I realized that, okay, probably the easiest way to do this is do a Facebook page. And so I started one up, Mm -hmm. but I did it really for them so they could kind of see where I'm at and to thank them for like the generosity they offered to open up their house to me. Like literally strangers would stop side the road. Hey, where are you staying tonight? Yeah. That that'd be an often first question. Where are you staying tonight? And like for it, <laughs> wow. right? And for any person that like both sides of that, it's kind of funny, right? Like a stranger saying that to somebody else, and then the stranger on the side of the road receiving that. Who's in the Who's in the position of you know power here? Right? Do they They don't know me, and they want to bring me into their house. Yeah. And that's that ended up becoming something that was really powerful too. Is how much of an ambassador horses really are. They have. Four legs up on a bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Like people are riding a bicycle, traveling across the country on a bicycle. Like, yeah, that's awesome. And you see the panniers and all that. But there's a solo experience that there is to that. And passerbyers just keep going. Like, right. okay, they're self-sufficient. They're fine. But when you're on the on a horse side of the road, people slow down because they're like, well, if this per this is my theory, if this person could like take care of this large animal, they probably have a handle of what's going on or or maybe they need something for their large animal. Right. Nobody's worrying about the bicycle. No, exactly. Nobody's worrying about the bicycle. And so and so I ended up doing the Facebook page as, as a big thank you to its people and it started to kind of like snowball a bit. And so people would reach out to me like, hey, after the journey, like, I want to do the same trip. What advice do you have? And I'd be like, whew. I barely got through it myself. Like, how do you think I could offer anything to you? And I have no experience. Eight months of experience with a horse. That's how much I got. Right. You know, like, how long you've been riding horses? Like, oh, three years or 10 years. I'm like, well, you know more than I do. You know, it's, it's really the, the, the time, the quality time spent. Uh, but yeah, the advice I'd give to people that want to travel by horse is uh, like long distances. First off, 
become very adept at backpacking. Yeah. Just no backpacking, no map reading and compass work. Who cares about cell phones? Who cares about GPS? Just just do that well. And when you start to do that well, that means you can get across land safely. And if you if you can get yourself across land safely, then okay, now bring a horse. And I, and I think having definitely some good, you know, horse medical knowledge is really helpful about everything from colic to laminitis, the wear spots. Like I became very aware about peppers, the health of pepper skin. Yeah. It's amazing how important their skin is when you're riding long distances. Yeah. Because, because again, I mean, even people have been with horses 50 years, they think horses are tough. Right. And they are tough until they're not tough. Right. And when they're not tough, then you're like, you're screwed. When you're hiking the Appalachian Trail, you're hyper aware of the condition of the skin in your feet, in your shoes. Right. So it's the same thing as the horse. Totally. A blister will ruin your day and mm-hmm. so will a girth sore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then when I trained Pepper to a cart, so I went from like dialing in the saddle to then now I have to dial in harness the lines coming back and how they hit the flanks of the horse i mean every it's every little thing right i mean every point of contact you gotta be hypersensitive that it can endure 30 miles every day yeah and tomorrow and tomorrow right. and tomorrow. And, that's, and, and then then you realize oh we can't do 30 miles every day right. <laughs> and then you're like okay now i gotta think about and it's just because wherever you're like you're weak on it's gonna show itself later guaranteed if you don't know how to read a map, it's going to show itself later. If you don't know how to like go over, you know, do dead reckoning on a compass, it's going to show itself later. You gotta know all angles. I I call it being on five points. There's four compass bearings and or you know compass directions, and then you got to be on five points. You know, you got to have that extra one to be aware of everything. It's interesting to me that a lot of people thought that it was so awful that you didn't have the horse experience beforehand. And I really thought, you know, learning to sit on a horse is not the hardest part of this. (laughs) That your background, learning how to navigate and and learning how to camp. And I mean, just camping, just backpacking is a challenge. What do you take? Mm -hmm. How much does it weigh? Mm -hmm. What do you need for it to work? What kind of food do you carry? Right. And, and and all that has nothing to do with the horse, right? And it has nothing right. to do with the horse. No. And then as time went on, I realized I need less of my stuff and more of her stuff. That transition started to happen. Yeah. Well, once you got out of the wilderness and there were more places to stop and Well, yes, that's true. But even early on, I started jettisoning as much clothing as I could for grain. I realized that grain was crucial she needed the fuel. She needed the fuel. I, yeah. I get, an, another rookie move was I thought she just could eat grass wherever we were. There's grass all across everywhere. Come on. There's grass everywhere. Like, you know. Right. And right. so, but no. I mean, again, total rookie move that I couldn't do that. Well, it there and that's and that's fine if you're doing 10 miles a day. Right. 10 miles for for the day and you're done. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. and then she can get her 16 hours of grazing and her, you know, however many hours of sleep that she needs. Mm-hmm. But if she's going to graze and sleep, if she's going to graze for all of her food and sleep then you then you can't do those miles. Right. So that's a trade-off. It's just basically a trade-off. Like whatever you're going to do, you're going to trade one thing for another thing, which is part of that kind of traveling. Right. And th- and that's how I started to to not give too many aspects of the book away because I really loved people to buy and read. It kind of stands on its own. It is a good story. It is a really <laughs> good story. And I got to tell you, man, it's an easy read. Oh, thank you. And it's not because it's like a simple read. It's not. But the story just rolls through. I, I thought it was a page turner. I kept reading chapter after chapter. You know, Aww. I get to the end of the chapter and be like, I don't want to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's that's. A, thank you very much for the compliment. I it's 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 my first book. You so. have a very natural, honest writing style, and I really appreciated that. It was um, it was very genuine. Super. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really I really wanted to get away from the clip clop travelogue. Day 54, yeah. day 55 experience. Right. I really worked hard at that and, and had it be about the experience with the horse, 
experience across the across the land, uh, history. The history is is all in there. It's great. Yeah, I thought that was and because I I love history, and so it's you know I I wasn't the first person to do this. People. You know, people have done it before. I mean, not many. Yep. That was the interesting part where I very much felt like since I was going west to east, people have gone east to west on a horse, you know, the Oregon Trail and moving west and manifest destiny. Maybe not riding every every mile on their own. Yeah. Maybe hopping in a, a wagon or taking a train when trains were available, when a train was there. But so I really like gravitated toward that grounding of the pioneer days. Yeah, it's and, there. Uh, it's really there. That was fun. And, and, the, and the pioneer days are in the East Coast too. Yeah. People think that the Wild West was in the West. I mean, Pennsylvania has got a lot too. So one of the themes of this show is that horses in history and horses today are horses, you know, right. the horses that they rode on the Oregon Trail mm-hmm. and the horses that they rode during the Revolutionary War are the same horses that we ride now. Right. I mean, they may have been different breeds, but they are the same species. Right. As, you, as you're as you starting to come into the Eastern Woodlands from, you know, from the flatlands, right? You're starting to feel home. Now, it's not home for Pepper because she didn't come from New England, but it's got, I know that feeling of like, I start to come into the mountains and I start to have that feeling of like, now it feels like the East again. Mm -hmm. And I was curious as to if there was a sense of approaching home for you. Certainly. Like I was coming across Pennsylvania during the fall colors and that was the first the first indicator that i was coming home was the turning of the leaves mm-hmm. and the frost on the ground in the morning when i woke up and i climbed out of the tent and i had to break up like puddles in the in fields so pepper could drink that i was like okay this is what it's like to be home again and it was a feeling of coming home it was it was striking and in some ways i actually for a moment was like didn't need it. I didn't need to go home. That's interesting because because I was I was I was finally coming into my own. I was traveling and I could go wherever I wanted to go. Why do I have to keep going east? Maybe I'll turn north. Maybe I'll go up to Canada. That that was that was a powerful time because I felt like I was home and I was with Pepper. Yeah, and we were traveling together and wherever we went was home. And whoever we talked to was, I don't know, it'd be so cliche as saying family, but whoever we talked to were just, you know, not strangers. They're just people we, we, we met and places we stayed. And there was a bit of like, a bit of not wanting to let this end. As much as I wanted it to, to get to the conclusion when I was out West, I, when I got to the East, I didn't want it to end. Yeah. Pennsylvania and New York uh, have a lot of steadfast, independent people, very much like New Hampshire, where, where we're both from. Yeah. And so when I started meeting people in Pennsylvania that were very independently minded and self-sufficient, that felt a lot like Connecticut and Massachusetts and Vermont, New Hampshire and Maine people that, that just, they can handle it. Yeah, it's going to be cold tonight. That's that. Yeah. And ironically, when I would often meet people on the road, when I was traveling in the East, very rarely did they say, oh, it's going to be cold tonight. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Or like, do you... Because that was just assumed. Yeah. Or like, I mean, out West, like there'd be some cold... I mean, I left in March in Oregon. So right. there was definitely... I was going through the snow and everything and people would slow down like, it's going to be cold tonight. But when I was in New York, Massachusetts, they were like... Yeah, of course it's cold tonight. Like, right. that doesn't mean you can like stay in my yard. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was very slow experience of like walking up the steps to your house. That last approach. Oh yeah, it, it went on for hundreds of miles. Where did you come across the Hudson? Oh, you came across the Hudson at Newburgh, uh, Catskill, New York. Rip Van Winkle Bridge. Yeah, Rip Van Winkle Bridge. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they didn't want to let me across because I didn't have a horse and tra- I didn't have a car, truck and trailer. <laughs> You're right. 
And I was like, I was like, no, I forgot that. Yeah, le- I left it in and- Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> I had one. <laughs> I had one. I just kept yeah. riding away from it. And, uh, and so they went back inside and, and they talked with ever managers. And I mean, at that point, it's so funny with authority figures as you're traveling. At first, you're like a little nervous. You feel like a, a teenager. And then as time goes on, you just, it doesn't matter anymore. They end up escorting me across this incredibly long, high bridge. That's a big bridge. With a big bridge with rush hour traffic. And I was riding Pepper in front of this truck that had yellow lights spinning around. And because it's rush hour, everybody was going Pepper speed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> everybody. West and east. Yep. The people that were going west and saw the horse, they slowed right down and are taking pictures or they're waving. Oh, that's and great. so they're all going six miles or five and a quarter miles an hour. And everybody behind me is going five and a quarter miles an hour. And Pepper just owned the whole bridge and all those hundreds of people. And I just was like, all right, that's priceless. it's a long, long bridge. <laughs> So again, like, is it that big of a headache? Does it matter that it takes an extra two and a half minutes? Right. Well, that's slowing the rest of the world down to that pace. Yeah. To horse speed. Yeah. To to horse speed, right? To horse speed. And that's, that's the thing. Like horsepower and horse speed is such a nebulous experience for us now. Well, sounds like that brings us back around to our theme. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so so that that was a major obstacle for me to like handle at the beginning of the journey because I was used to bicycle speed. I was used to walking speed. Yeah, until you just resign yourself to it. Yeah, it's one thing to be in an arena going around right. or being on a on a trail walking your horse, but there's another thing to like, hey, I need to get somewhere. And you need to get somewhere. I got to get somewhere right now. And that was hard. That took weeks to sort out. And then I forgave, and and then she got a little stronger, and she fell into her into her running walk. But uh, it took a solid like seven hundred miles, eight hundred miles to find that, which is a lot of miles. It is a lot of miles, although um, in the grand scheme of things, it was you know a few weeks out of your life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a month and a half. Yeah, which is yeah, it's a month and a half. Who cares, right? right? You know, it's it's yeah. forty five minutes, uh, or it's a month and a half, or it's eight days or however, however long it takes is how long it takes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that we keep kind of coming back to in this story is that it takes how long it takes. And uh, so here's another one. How long did it take to write the book? Oh, so I'd uh, published a couple articles before writing the book. And so had a couple editors felt I was like reasonable enough to, to publish their, their work. And uh, so I started writing the book and to go from magazine articles that are like 1500 words to a whole book that's 90,000 words, you have to string together 40 40 stories. And so that's a a different sort of skill. And so it took me a good year and a half to really craft what I was getting after. I had a couple excellent mentors that are from our hometown in Warner, New Hampshire, that offered their advice. And uh, I kept sending drafts to them as beta readers and kept honing it and honing it. But in the end, uh, it took a, a good five years to write the book. And then uh, then the pandemic came and that slowed things down a bit too with publishing. But a wonderful press out of Vermont called Trafalgar Square Books uh, printed the book were, and was very willing to let me have my voice in the book, which was critical for me. Uh, and I recommend them highly because they have a lot of excellent books of all varied genres. Now I'm just, I'm very grateful to, to be part of their community. And so, yeah, it, it, it took quite a while. And I, I mean, ironically, I actually thought I could bang out the book in eight, eight or nine months as long as, long as I took to ride. <laughs> Life gets in the way. Right, right, right. It does, it does. I, I'm just glad I didn't let it let too much time pass. No, well, it was worth the effort, man. It's definitely worth your effort to have done the writing because it brought the story to me in a way, you know, I'd heard the story 
because we know a lot of the same people, but I didn't know the story. I knew I knew that you rode a horse across the country. That was kind of the part of it that I knew. And and because we know the same people, I knew of you, but I didn't have that whole, like, to put the whole thing together and to understand the details and the actual, not just the trip, but the journey. There are definitely two different things in the book. It's the trip. It's about the trip, but it's also about your journey and Pepper's journey along the way. I think it comes through that that you both got something out of it. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, totally. Oh, Pepper is a much better horse for it, for sure. <laughs> you know, her, her tolerance is incredible. When when like a new rider gets on or, or like an like a child gets on, she'll like be walking gingerly along as, as, as many other uh, horse lovers know that, that horses act different around children and yep. Pepper was the same. Pepper, where Pepper is, I think it's very important to know Pepper is in good health and well. She's living on a small island in Washington state called Orcas Island and she's at a stable right now and uh, has a l- lot of great horse buddies and I visit with her a lot, and I ride her often, and uh, she's doing really well, and she's just right in the prime of her life. Awesome. And for book, and for people that want to check out the book, it's called On the Hoof, Pacific to Atlantic, a 3,800-mile adventure, On the Hoof, and it's available in bookstores and available on Amazon and direct from Trafalgar Square Press. Your Facebook page is also called On the Hoof? Yes, yeah, the Facebook page is called On the Hoof, and I uh, can check that out and feel free to message me. And there's me. a million pictures of Miss Pepper. There is, yeah, a lot, lot of great images and some videos, of course. Well, I, I thank you very much for giving me your time and for sharing this story with me. I really wish you the best on the sales of the book, and, and I'm proud to say that I know you. Aww. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate being on your podcast. You're so welcome. My guest is Jesse McNeil. His traveling companion is named Pepper, and his book is On the Hoof, Pacific to Atlantic, a 3,800-mile adventure. There's information about how you can purchase it on the show notes page for this episode at atimeforhorses.com forward slash on the hoof. I found Jesse's book to be a delightful read, and I recommend it to you if you like stories like this. As I said, Jesse and I are both from the same hometown, and when he and Pepper finally concluded their cross-country journey on the Atlantic coast of New Hampshire, they made the last leg to home by truck and trailer. It was only a few days before Jesse got fidgety, and the two of them went for a day's ride across town and up to the summit of our local mountain just a few miles from the house where I was raised. Now that summit trail is a pretty challenging hike for a person on foot, and it's even more difficult for a horse. But the cross-country travel had prepared them well, and they made the trip without incident. I know only one other person who's accomplished that climb on horseback, and it's not me. That's quite interesting. I think that when you probably heard that I did the trip, you're probably like, he doesn't know anything about horses. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, actually, what I heard was Jesse McNeil rode a horse across the country, and I went, oh, of course he did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As a side like community note, I very much really loved having your mom, Nancy, in the Warner community's world. Her, she inspired me a lot to be more creative. So I remember you reaching out to me at one point and saying, you rode a horse, a horse up Mount Kearsarge. The only other person I know that's done that is my own mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. She's the only other person who's the kind of person who would ride their horse yeah. to the top of the mountain. Although I was real, I got to tell you, I was really disappointed when she did it was because I was like, it, it was after I had moved out of town and she told me that she had done it. And I was like, I want to do that with oh, you. <laughs> that's where you get it from. Because I totally would have done it. Yeah, that's where you get it from. Yeah. Well, I think well. it's I think it's something in the water in the town of Warner. I got to say. Yes. That. Yeah. For for uh, for good or for bad, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, it's the Yankee spirit. It is the Yankee spirit. I recorded the last episode of this show called Hiatus, taking a short walk on a completely different mountain. Imagine my surprise when I learned 
that I was on the opposite side of that mountain from Jesse's horse, Pepper, on a small island in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. It seems that Jesse and Pepper and I have crossed paths a number of times so far, and I expect that to continue. Until next time, please remember the thing that makes a good podcast great is more listeners. Take a moment to tell someone the old-fashioned way that you are enjoying our show. That's how we continue to grow, after all. And thanks for that. If you have thoughts to share directly, you can find us on social media at A Time for Horses, and email always works using feedback at atimeforhorses.com. If you're listening to our show on the web, you may already know that our website is atimeforhorses.com, and you'll find the notes for this episode at atimeforhorses.com forward slash on the hoof. Of course, you can follow or subscribe to the show for free and never miss an episode. Just go to atimeforhorses.com for links to the various places where you can find us. I should also mention that we've had some issues with our website during the show's hiatus, and as a result, the little technical thing that allows you to subscribe to the show, our podcast feed, has had some trouble as well. If you were subscribed before, it's possible that you got technologically disconnected from the show. So if you didn't get this in your podcatcher the way you expected, you can search for the show again in your directory, or just hop on over to our updated website and click on the word follow to reconnect. And thanks for giving me your ear space. I'll see you next time. (laughs) 